Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24. The Hidden Killers Podcast. In this episode, we dive into the unsettling case of Jennifer Farber Dulos, who vanished on May 24, 2019. Amidst a divorce and custody battle, her estranged husband, Fotis Dulos, and his partner, Michelle Trokinis, became the center of a shocking conspiracy. Today, we bring you up to the moment coverage from the courtroom as Trokinis faces trial, accused of a role in this presumed murder. Judge, before the jury comes out, I just wanted to play something on the record. Um, the states, except when they're playing the video, the states direct of this witness from both Friday, from all of uh, Friday, including I think Thursday when he started, or whenever he started, all had to do with what other police told him. When I objected on hearsay grounds, and the state said, well, it goes to the effect on his investigation, the court overruled my objections. What's happening, though, I just want to be for the record, is that when I'm pointing out things that are essentially um, exculpatory that they learned during the investigation that they didn't follow up on, it's suddenly hearsay, and it's being sustained repeatedly. So I'm noting that um, the, the same grounds that was allowed that, that allowed this witness to testify as to what others told him was permitted, and now it's being precluded on cross-examination. I think it's like a, um, a, I think the case, the one to cite would be Wardius versus Oregon 412 US 470, which basically says that when rules are applied differently to the state versus the defense, that it becomes a due process violation. So what's happening is anything that was consistent with their narrative, hearsay was allowed in, and I'm pointing out all these things that this witness knew or learned during the course of the investigation prior to August 13th, and it's being excluded on hearsay grounds when it's not being offered for the truth. It's being offered to show that he knew these things at the time of the investigation. So I just want to put that on the record. Um, you know, it's, I'm, I'm almost done, but I wanted to at least state on the record my concern. Well, here's the difference. Court, first of all, it's not going to revisit. But here's the difference. In the interviews, it is not always clear the reasons the interviewers are asking the questions. So what is clear is that they're asking questions in order to get a response from the defendant. They're not asking questions and those questions coming in uh, basically based on hearsay information to prove the matter asserted. They're asking questions to get a response. Some of the questions are genuine, some are disingenuous. But the purpose is to get a response from the defendant, whether the information that they conveyed was uh, basically hearsay information or not. In counsel's questions, for example, counsel asked the question, 
well, uh, did you find out to this particular witness that there was actual, actually a coffee cup in the garbage at 80 Mountain Spring? That's not to get a response from the witness. That's to prove that there was a coffee cup in the garbage at 80 Mountain Spring. The questions that are based on hearsay asked during the interview elicited responses whether those questions were genuine or not. That means whether they were truthful or not. In this court's view, the questions asked by counsel essentially are efforts to get in hearsay statements for the truth of the matter asserted in those statements. That's the difference. Judge, can I also just be heard on an issue very briefly? Judge, at sidebar, I had raised an objection to one of Attorney Schoenhorn's questions earlier um, because essentially Attorney Schoenhorn asked a question for which there was no factual basis to ask. Specifically, he asked Detective Kimball, um, isn't it true um, that, and I'm, words to this effect, Judge, because I don't remember the exact question, that by August 13th, you would have known that my client's phone records showed a incoming call from Enterprise Rental. And I pointed out at sidebar on May 28th, and I pointed out at sidebar that those particular records, which were subsequently suppressed, only went until May 27th. So there was no factual basis for that particular question to assume that the detective would have known that on August 13th. When I raised this at sidebar, the defense's response was, you didn't basically object fast enough. And I just want to know, you know, and the state, incidentally, the other day had the fortitude to say that we had made an error when we asked a question and we moved to strike. And I want to know if the defense is similarly going to say that they made an error in that question and the state will join in their motion to strike because that was not an appropriate question. There was no factual basis for it. I'll just say, I don't even know for a fact that the, that those records only went through May 27th would be what one day or two days prior, no, one day prior. This is the, I'm may know that, but I'm not willing to say that without knowing that that's the date that we're talking about. I thought the records were through May 31st. So I don't have those records here to know that in fact they didn't include the next day. We just litigated this the other day and I pointed out to the court that this warrant application, which the court indicated it was not gonna grant the defense motion to suppress, it was different in that the previous application only went until May 27th, and this application went the week before and the week after. So when counsel says he didn't know, um, I'm surprised by that comment, given that we just litigated it the other day. And so I'm once again asking, are they gonna have the fortitude to move to strike that question and answer in front of the jury? Well, this is not going to be a uh, essentially a test of any counsel's fortitude, moral or otherwise. This court responds to objections as they are made. So it would not be possible for this court to know at any particular time, having this being almost the fifth complete week of testimony, whether something constituted facts not in evidence. So again, this court will rule on objections in a timely fashion when they're made in a timely fashion. Can we bring the jury up?
Council stipulate, please? Yes, Judge. Yes. Officer Kimball, uh, I just want to maybe correct. Um, I referred earlier when I was asking about the call to enterprise to AT&T records, but you, in fact, had other information that you confirmed that she did, in fact, have to pick up her car, car that morning from an enterprise rental car, even if it wasn't from her phone records, correct? I don't know what other, no, I don't know. You actually, somebody went to Enterprise Rental Car to confirm that when she rented that vehicle, right, the Yukon. Right? I believe so, but I, I don't have off the top of my head. I don't have and you And you had other that. phone records of my clients from the, from the phone that you knew that she'd received those calls that morning, that call at 915 from Enterprise, right? I don't know that. Let me just, you know, I'm going to finish up on, I uh, just have a few more questions about uh, Russell Speeder. Um, Michelle told you that she dropped off, that she uh, picked up Fotis Dulos at the Russell Speeder after he went in, right? In this interview, correct? Yes. That she told you she never went in, right? Yes. She told you she didn't even know he had paid with cash, right? Yes. And she told you that when she picked him up, they went right down to see Attorney Bowman down in Westport, right? Yes. One of the um, other things towards the end of the interview, you showed Michelle uh, a picture that we see in the video in the video of another woman with Fotis Dulos that's one of you refers to as Michelle 2.0, I wrote down, right? It was not me that did that, it was Detective Plavi. Okay. But you were the one who showed her the picture, right? Correct. And that was a picture of a woman, just so we're clear, named Anna Curry, right? That's correct. And this is the woman that moved into Fotis's house a short time after Michelle moved out, correct? That's my understanding, yes. And the picture you showed her, which um, hasn't been offered, but it, it showed Miss um, Curry together with Mr. Dulos at a store, right? Yes. And you said it, uh, one of you said that the woman looked a lot like uh, Michelle, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. You thought, or one of you thought it might in fact be Michelle? This way you asked the question. Of, Not at the time that we showed it to her, no. All right, so you showed her that picture knowing it wasn't her, right? Yes. You showed it to her and told her it was Fotis's, I guess, new girlfriend, right? I don't know that we said that. Well, a woman he was now with that looked like uh, Michelle, right? There was similar appearance, yes. Absolutely. Tall, maybe similar build, similar hair color, things like that? Yes, correct. And was the purpose of showing her that to, what, make her jealous? purpose was to find out if she knew who that was, if she was familiar with that person solely. But you, didn't you know by then that it was uh, Anna Curry? You had checked You wanted to know if she knew who it was. Oh, okay. And she didn't know who Anna Curry was. Though. That is correct. And, you know, Anna Curry is the person who posted photos to Lewis's bonds, right? Yes. And you knew that she had become his, his at least she was his move-in girlfriend, right? Should I just object here, say? You, be you believed she was his new girlfriend, right? Our understanding is that she was living at Fort Jefferson with him. And she was living with Fotis Dulles at the time of his death, right? Judge, objection, hearsay outside the scope. Well, it's outside of the scope. Sustained. Who asked the question whether or not that it might be des by design that she looks like you? Who asked that question? Well, first of all, that's not a question. Well, I don't know who said that. I'm not sure who said that, but it's not a question. The, the statement that was made to her, I'm saying that suggesting that it might be by design that she looks like you, you don't know who that is. 
What was the reason for that statement being made at that time to Michelle? I don't remember who said it, so I, I can't speak to that. Did you suggest, or was it Mr. Detective Clabby who said that he's tr maybe he's trying to set you up? I remember that being said. Again, I don't remember who said it. In any which. event, you knew that wasn't uh, Michelle in that picture at the store, right? Correct. And then I'm just going to ask a couple more questions. Now, when Michelle indicated to you that on the morning of May 24th, she had gone to the stop and shop, correct? Correct. And you, she reiterated that during this interview, correct? Correct. You actually had a copy of the receipt from the stop and shop showing, in fact, what she had bought and when she had bought it, right? I didn't have one in that interview. But you had had it, uh, pictures were taken of it, that you had seen what the evidentiary services people took pictures of, right? I don't remember whether pictures were taken of it. All right, I'm gonna mark this one. And just to, to, to set this up, you were aware that um, between the second interview of Michelle Traconis and the third in August, the evidentiary services unit had also been to Fort Jefferson Crossing, right? They had gone between the first and the second interview. No, they went on the 3rd of June, didn't they, to uh, Fort Jefferson Crossing? They had been at 80 Mountain Spring on the second, right? Just trying to refresh so your recollection. The 3rd of June is between the first and second interview, right? Um, you're right and I'm wrong. Yes, they'd gone between those two interviews, correct? That's and between some, interviews two and three. Yes. Or one and two, excuse me. Right. And you're aware they took a pictures of a lot of documents, right? Yes. And um, you sh we already saw today the timeline, that the photocopies of the timelines, correct? Yes. I, I don't have an objection to this offer. Do you have a copy? So, um, exhibit NN is full. I'm just going to show you. There, there are a couple of receipts. You were aware that the evidentiary services unit had taken pictures at of documents they found in the house, right? In general, I'm aware of that, yes. Right. And you'll see that this is a, this side, what I'll show you is the um, stop and shop. There's a photocopy of the picture they took. So I'll just be clear. This is not the original document. It's a, it's just a photo of a receipt, right? That's the way it appears, yes. Yeah, and you'll see that it lists the address as um, Bushy, Hill. Bushy Hill Road in Simsbury. You see that? Yes. And um, it shows that the time of the purchase was May 24th at 10.01 a.m., correct? I see that, yes. And it shows she bought stuff at the cheese shop, the deli, the produce, and then it says seafood. It says SB. Raw, two pounds, maybe that's sea bass, I don't know. Entry of it there, right? I see that, yes. And that she um, used her American Express card to pay for that, right? Yes. And on the same uh, photograph, they also took a picture of the Starbucks receipt, right? Apparently. And that was the uh, May 24th at 7.59 p.m. It shows exactly what was purchased at the Starbucks, right? Yes. And specifically also uh, included that she paid with her MasterCard, right? Yes. And there was also um, officers viewed video of the perch of, of Michelle entering the stop and shop, correct? Yes. Add this mark, please. And showing what's been marked as exhibit OO. Is this a screenshot from the video of Michelle Traconis entering the stop and shop to do the purchase of the parsley, the cheese, and the sea bass that we just saw the research receipt for? It appears to be, yes. And I'll just note the time up at the top, that would be UTC time, 1.30. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. So if, I don't if know you subtract four hours, that would be uh, 9.30 9, 9 a.m. 
I'm 31. And that would be consistent with her actually paying for her items at 10 a.m., correct? It would be, yes. I'd offer it. I have no objection. What is it? NN? This is O. Oh, oh, oh admitted as full. And I'll defense. just show it to the jury. And again, it shows um, Mr. Cohn is talking on the telephone or appears to be having her phone up at her ear as she enters the store, correct? That's what it appears to be, yes. Okay. I just have a moment, Your Honor? Yes. I just have a couple of just follow-up questions. You had test previously testified that you had become the lead investigator sometime between the first and the second interviews on uh, in 2019. Is that correct? I don't remember testifying that. I'm not sure what date I was made the lead investigator. Right. But in any event, you were the lead investigator as of August 13, 2000. Yes, right? that's true. And so that any decisions that were made regarding moving forward on investigation or making arrests was made by you in con consultation with others, correct? It was made by my sergeant in consultation with me. And with the state's attorney's office, And with right? the state's attorney. Okay. So you couldn't do any of this just on your own, right? Absolutely correct. So this was a collaborative effort on your part with your sergeant and the state's attorney. Correct. Mr. Colangelo at the time. Right? Correct. I have no further questions. Thank you. Detective Kimball, on cross-examination, you were asked about canine units searching various areas. Is that correct? Yes, sir. That's correct. And a canine unit involves uh, what type of dog? Generally, a German Shepherd tracking dog. Okay. And they were uh, apparently looking for Jennifer Dulos. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. As of today's date, or excuse me, February 20th, 2024. Has Jennifer Dulos ever been located? Objection outside the scope of cross. It's outside the scope. Sustained. During those canine unit searches that you were asked about on cross-examination, was Jennifer Dulos ever located? She was not, no. You were asked on cross-examination about the fact that it was actually the defendant who brought to your attention in the third interview that she had answered Mr. Dulos's phone. Do you recall those questions? Yes. What did the defendant say about Mr. Dulos's phone on June 6, 2019? I asked her. She knew. Objection what... asked and answered. Well, the question, the preliminary question was in the interview on August 13th. It was the defendant who stated that she responded to the call of Mr. Dulos's phone or on Mr. Dulos's phone. The next question is, what did she say on the 6th of uh, June? Well, there's been a significant amount of testimony in this case. If it has been asked and answered, it may be difficult to recall that it has been asked and answered to overrule it. What did the defendant say about Mr. Dulles's phone on the 6th of June when you interviewed her. During that second interview, I asked her if she knew where Fotis's phone was. And she, her response was, with Fotis, I suppose. I asked her if it would be unusual if he left his phone behind, and she said it would be. So she didn't say anything on June 2nd or June 6th about answering the phone, correct? Not at all, no. 
You were asked on cross-examination and shown video of the vehicle arriving at Fort Jefferson Crossing at 7.21 a.m. on May 24, 2019, correct? Correct. And um, you were asked on cross-examination who that vehicle belonged to, correct? Correct. Who did that vehicle belong to? Kent Winnie. You were also asked on cross-examination whether or not there was any video of Mr. Mooney's vehicle living, leaving Fort Jefferson Crossing, correct? That's correct. I'm just going to play judge if I could. It's from State's Exhibit 90. So this is State's Exhibit 90. There's a vehicle, excuse me, a video entitled Swanson Video 4. I'm just going to play this video. Detective Kimball, I'm just going to direct your attention to the driveway of Fort Jefferson Crossing. Okay. Does that appear to be Kent Mooney's vehicle leaving? It does, yes. Could you note the time for the jury? 8.41.44 a.m. on the 24th of May. You were also asked on cross-examination whether or not you had arrested Kent Mooney in connection with the incident. Yes. Do you recall that question? I do. What did you arrest Kent Mooney for? Kent Mooney was arrested for conspiracy to commit murder in connection with the murder of Jennifer Dulos. And are those charges still pending? They are still pending, yes. You were asked on cross-examination whether or not someone named Andres was ever spoken with. Do you recall that question? Yes, sir. And what's Andres's last name? Best way Billy, it's Tutsiaris. And um, did he wish to cooperate with the investigation? Objection yes. hearsay. Well, the testimony has already been adduced that the gentleman declined to cooperate, so overruled. Did he cooperate? He did not cooperate, no. <clears throat> you were asked on uh, cross-examination about what, if any, evidence was located at 80 Mountain Spring Road. Do you recall those questions? Yes. And I believe you were specifically asked whether or not there were any cleaning supplies or garbage bags located at 80 Mountain Spring Road. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Were there garbage bags located in the trash on Albany Avenue in Hartford? Yes, there were. And they were black, correct? They were black, yes. Was there a sponge located on Albany Avenue in Hartford? Yes, there was. Was there the handle of a broom or a mop located on Albany Avenue in Hartford? Yes, there was. And uh, who indicated to you that they had brought cleaning supplies to 80 Mountain Spring Road on May 24th? Michelle Traconis did. Was there also a towel found on Albany Avenue in Hartford? Yes. <coughs> you were asked on cross-examination whether or not the defendant had ever been asked about the Tacoma Key or the fact that she had brought it back to 80 Mountain Spring Road in either of her first two police interviews. Do you recall that question? Yes. On 
June 2nd, 2019, when you interviewed the defendant, were you aware that the Tacoma had been at 80 Mountain Spring Road? We were not, no. And did the defendant share that detail with you? She did not. So how could you possibly ask her that question? Exactly. Argumentative. Well, answer to that question is self-serving. Did she share with you that the Tacoma was at 80 Mountain Spring Road during the June 6th interview? No. Incidentally, you were asked whether or not on August 13th, 2019, if you were aware of surveillance footage showing the Toyota Tacoma leaving at approximately 5.30 or so in the morning. Do you recall those questions? I do remember. When was that surveillance footage located by state police personnel? Towards the end, middle or end of November of 2019. So after this interview, correct? Correct, after the August 13 interview. You were asked some questions on cross-examination about affidavits that you submitted in support of warrants in this case. Do you recall those questions? Yes. Detective, um, could you um, maybe characterize the uh, nature of this case in terms of the amount of information that you were receiving as the lead detective? Objection, uh, Dave. Well. The... Question, can you discuss the amount of information you received essentially in preparation of affidavits? There can be a very short answer, such as tons. And that's what the court expects. So it's the court doesn't want to preempt the examination, but that's what's coming. So the court's going to allow that question. The objection is overruled. Maybe I'll just rephrase. I'll try to short circuit this. Use the judge's word. Was it tons of information? Tons. It was a huge investigation. You were asked on cross-examination about the log entry at the um, car wash. Do you recall those questions? Yes, I recall. And I believe you were given an opportunity to review Detective Clabby's report. Is that correct? That's correct. And um, you were then asked whether or not the first entry on the log was incorrect. Is that correct? That's correct. But there was a second entry as well, correct? There was, yes. And that was mentioned in Detective Clabby's report? Yes, it was. And was that correct? That entry was correct. So, uh, Detective, you had an opportunity to review Detective Clabby's report, and you were asked about a wrong entry and a correct entry, correct? Yes, correct. All right. I'm just going to ask if you could just step down, and um, based on what you read in the report, can you indicate to the jury what the correct entry was? Correct entry appears to be on this line. This is Michelle Traconis' phone number. The vehicle description is blank. The time is 914. Times two is detailing times two, and this is the, the price which needs to be paid. In other words, it's not paid at the time of concession.
want to uh, just direct your attention to early on, earlier on in the interview. I don't have the exact uh, timestamp. And you were asked some questions on cross-examination about the smoke from the chimney. Do you recall those questions? Yes. Now, you um, spoke with the defendant about her movements back and forth between 80 Mountain and Fort Jefferson Crossing during the third interview, correct? Correct. And at one point, you indicated to her that you were trying to figure out basically what she was doing to try to account for her time, correct? That's correct, yes. And at that point in the interview, did the defendant ever say to you that she had lit a fire at that point? No. She mentioned maybe being on her computer, I think, correct? Yes. If I could just have a moment, Judge? Yes. Nothing further, Judge. So I just want to be clear. You just said that you didn't get any of the um, the 77 Mountain Spring Road surveillance before the August 13th interview. Is that correct? I'm not saying that, no. I don't remember when we got that. Was it surveillance? When I mean the video from across from uh, right, 80 from Mountain 77 Spring. Mountain Spring Road looking at 80. I yeah. don't remember when we obtained that video. So it may have been before the uh, August 13th interview. It may have been. In any event, you know, we those are the videos you narrated uh, last week, right? That's correct, yes. And you can't tell who's driving any of those vehicles from watching the video, correct? No, we just know because your defendant, your uh, client, telling us who was driving them. Right. But other than that, you can't tell just by watching, right? No. You can't uh, tell what's inside any of those cars either from the video, can you? No, you cannot. Or who's bringing what at what point, correct? No, we have to rely on her description. Maybe one additional question. So as I understand it, the only way you had any knowledge as to who were in those vehicles going back and forth was from what Michelle told you, right? We saw individuals walking at at the uh, along the the ribbon line. Mm -hmm. So yes, it's essentially yes. The answer to your question. All right. Thank you. No further. I have nothing on that, Judge. Detective Kimball, you may step down. Thank you. Judge, that concludes our presentation for today. Are there witnesses expected by the state tomorrow? We have one witness in the morning, Judge. And approximately how long do you think it will take on direct for that witness? 10 to 15 minutes. Thank you. Will uh, the defense be ready to call any witnesses if the defense intends to call witnesses tomorrow? Um, Yes, there are obviously some matters at the close of the state's case have to be taken up outside the presence of the jury, but yes. Thank you. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we will reconvene tomorrow at 10 o'clock. Thank you for your attention. Please do not discuss the case nor follow media about the case. Have a good evening. testimony of attorney Rose that motion was signed by attorney Patrick Jennings of the Met Law Group court is going to have to take up that motion to quash tomorrow so we are going to begin tomorrow before the jury comes in at 930. Your, Your Honor, I um, I don't I spoke to Attorney Ment yesterday. Um, after discussing with him, I, I mean, I I just got noticed about the motion. I didn't receive it yet. 
he said he faxed it to my office, but of course I'm here. Um, after speaking with attorney meant it, we do not, I think a lot of it, I, I, I don't want to speak without actually looking at the motion, but since he verbally told me what it was about, I don't think it's going to require um, any kind of a hearing. I don't anticipate, in light of your honor's previous rulings, we're not going to get into the uh, custody um, hearings that took place in May of 2019 in the divorce court because the court has already made clear that that's not admissible. So um, I already told that to attorney Ment. I don't anticipate getting into any um, privileged communications between Mr. Du Mr. Uh, Dulos and his lawyer. In evidence already, there are certain communications, some of which um, involve Mr. Rose, and I'm just going to have him identify them and when they were sent. I can ask him about any advice that was given to him as a, in a legal sense. So it's, I think Attorney Rose will be on the stand for maybe 20, 25 minutes just to confirm the when things happened and in what order they happened, and that's basically it. Well, in this court's view, that wouldn't take 25 minutes. So what actually do you intend to elicit from Attorney Rose? Um, until I speak with attorney, I was given permission to speak directly with attorney Rose. And until I do that, I can't represent exactly. But um, there are certain text messages back and forth. Um, um, the one that comes to mind that I know I would be getting into is uh, about his haircut. Well, the court will consider after you talk to Attorney Rose's arguments tomorrow, but it would appear to this court that it would be a pretty thin direct examination. If the only questions concern when things happen, in other words, when there were filings, when did Otis Dulos come to your office? That shouldn't take much time at all. But what the court will indicate is that any testimony elicited concerning what Fotis Dulles's reaction was to anything is not going to be permitted. Because even if it was not verbal, any nonverbal assertion is still communication. Well, I, I want to at least be heard with regard to that, Your Honor. It's not a privileged communication, even if it's a communication. A laugh is not a privileged communication, for example. But Your Honor is basically saying that I can't even uh, indicate whether someone appeared happy after uh, there was a particular uh, document filed. So I, I just don't agree, but that doesn't necessarily... I haven't gotten into that, so we're talking about... Uh, the court precluding something before I even know to what extent that it's going to be uh, elicited at this point. Your Honor already heard, if you recall, from Attorney Rose, and he was very careful during the suppression hearing on what he could and couldn't say. But I don't know if Your Honor's ruling now is broader than what was uh, than what Attorney Rose testified to at the suppression hearing. Judge, if I could, maybe. Yeah. Um, so just. Attorney Schoenhorn's not prepared to represent what he intends to elicit. I don't think the court is precluding anything at this point. I think the court is just simply uh, sharing its concern about the potential to dive into attorney-client privilege. So I don't think there's been any proffer or ruling at this point that we need to really debate. Uh, at least that's the state's view. I did just want to be heard on one um, one additional matter, Judge. Uh, Kent Malini, of course, is a co-conspirator in this matter. He's been arrested. The charges remain pending. Um, he undoubtedly has a Fifth Amendment privilege and therefore is unavailable to both parties. And um, given that we're going to be resting tomorrow, I just want to indicate that for the record because obviously there shouldn't be any sort of missing witness arguments in closing argument under Secondino, I think is the name of the case, uh, in light of that fact that he's unavailable. Of course, unavailable does not mean he's missing. 
unavailable means he's going to invoke his privilege. The court just wants to also go over how it intends to proceed. for the schedule. So tomorrow morning at 9.30, we'll take up the motion to quash or, in the alternative, issue a protective order. Then the court expects these short states witness, cross-examination, and what the court understands is that that is the prosecution's last witness for arresting. Is that correct? Correct, then the court would expect the defense, if it intends to call any witnesses, to call witnesses. After the defense rests, now the court understood previously that the defense is probably going to take three days. That's what the court understood. Is that accurate? Can you show it on? Um. Fairly accurate. I, I'll also note the court's leaving out. I'll, I'll file it now, even though it's premature. I'm going to file a motion for judgment of acquittal, just to pro forma motion. Uh, I was going to. I thought the state was resting today, so I'm filing it because it's got today's date on it. But obviously, I won't argue with it until after the uh, state rests. But that will take maybe 45 minutes, 30 to 45 minutes. I have case law and whatnot to cite to Your Honor, and there's a lot of charges, so I at least want to... It's not just a pro forma argument, I would believe, in this case. Thank you. So after the state rests, of course, motion for judgment of acquittal has to be heard. Then the defense puts on its witnesses. I don't know how many witnesses the defense will get to tomorrow. But let's jump ahead to after the defense rests. The court is going to have to collapse certain things because what has happened in this case is uncommon. After the defense rests, we're going to take a break in order to allow both counsel to prepare their presentation for the contempt hearing. Now, the court does not know if all of that can be done the same day. But that's going to be the order right now. The court did not want to proceed with a contempt hearing interrupting the defense case. It's only after the defense rests. The court will indicate today that the contempt hearing, if a contempt finding is made, is not going to impose a sanction at that time. Because that is a sanction that would be imposed if there was one to be imposed before closing arguments. And the court does not want to essentially disrupt the defendant's Sixth Amendment right to a defense. And in this court's view, having practiced criminal defense for a long time, would find it disruptive if the court proceeded with a contempt hearing, made a finding, and then asked counsel to prepare a closing argument. Too disruptive. That's how the court intends to proceed. And then, of course, we'd have to proceed with a charge conference. So there... are many, as the cliche goes, moving parts here. The court wants to try to make sure that the jury is not surprised 
and informed that, well, we're going to be here a lot longer than March 1st. So that's the reason the court has to proceed this way. If there is a finding of contempt, if there is a finding of contempt, sanctions will be imposed when a verdict is returned, whether it's guilty or not guilty, on all of the counts. Tomorrow, 9.30, we'll take up the motion to block. Is the attorney that filed the motion going to be here? I mean, it's... The court does not know. Have they been notified? Because um, I would say not, that... The court does not know. This was just handed to the court right before the court came into the session. Um, there's one other thing I did want to at least bring to Your Honor's attention. Um, um, attorney uh, Felson and I have decided that in light of the nature of that allegation, that it would be inappropriate for either of us to represent uh, Mr. Conus, and uh, we then she has been reaching out to other counsel who will be, uh, depending on when that hearing uh, is scheduled, uh, would be coming in. It's just, you know, whatever happened, happened during my cross-examination of one of the state's witnesses, and uh, I just don't think it would be appropriate for us to represent her to the extent that uh, puts us in a uh, position that's uh, certainly, I'm not going to say it's adverse to our client, but certainly puts us in a position where we may have information that is uh, uh, outside of what would normally be what you'd represent the client for. And, and the fact that there were prior counsel and all these other things that have to be investigated. So, Do you wish to be heard, Attorney Matt? Uh, on an unrelated matter, Your Honor, um, respect to the fact that I just make a request of the defense and uh, bring it to the court's attention that throughout the course of the trial estate the night before has given the defense attorneys to list the names of individuals who will be testing the next day. The state is asking for that same courtesy. So counsel could indicate which witnesses will be uh, testifying tomorrow. I know there are experts coming from out of state, so the state would like to know uh, which ones to prepare for for tomorrow. Neither for tomorrow, Your Honor. If I may know who is testifying sure. tomorrow. Sure. Once we're done, I'll just tell her. Thank you. Thank you. If there's nothing else, we will stand adjourned until tomorrow morning. The session will start at 930. Thank you. Thank you. We'll stand adjourned. All right. There's more to come at the Michelle Trokinas trial in the Jennifer Farber Dulos case. The mystery deepens and justice seeks its course. Press subscribe now and stay tuned for more episodes unraveling the truths behind the most perplexing criminal cases from true crime today.